0: you have your Bibles, Hosea 4. I'm going to spend probably five or ten minutes here ramping up before we jump into chapter one. Is this one on now? Turn it off? You got the wireless now? You got the wireless? No, I <laughs> Woohoo! All right. If you remember, Joshua, okay, we're going to ramp it up with some history here, and then we'll, the history will bring us right up to chapter 4, verse 1. But Joshua led the 12 tribes of Israel back into the land that God had given Abraham from today. 4,000 years ago, God had given Abraham the land. They went out of the land into Egypt for about 400 years, and then God, through Joshua, brought them back in to the land that he had given. Joshua led them to possess and to settle into the territories that God were allotted by God to the 12 tribes, the book of Joshua. That's the book of Joshua right there in a nutshell. And then they went into a 400-year cycle, we saw in the book of Judges, where the blessing of God, the rich blessing of God, brought them to a place of complacency and then into a place of carelessness and sin which weakened them and they became vulnerable to their enemies and they were taken into bondage. They were afflicted by their enemies. They were in misery and they would cry out to God. And every time God heard their cry, raised up a deliverer called a judge. And the judge would come in and bring them back to God and then they would come back into extreme blessing. And then the cycle would begin again. The book of Judges, there's the book of Judges in a nutshell. And they would fall back into sin and then into misery and then into weakness and bondage to their enemies and cry out to God and God would send another deliverer which is called was called a judge. And then next, these people, the people of Israel that God had set aside to be totally different than all the other nations of the world, set aside to bring God's light and salvation. To the nations around that were lost in darkness, they began to beg God for a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world. They loved the image of having a king and the pomp and the circumstances. And remember, God said to Samuel, here's the book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel. God told the prophet Samuel, as the nation was, had God as their king, God told Samuel, don't be depressed, Samuel. They haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me. They don't want me to reign over them. And God said to Samuel, I want you to give them the king that they're begging for. Give them what they're begging for. Find the guy with the, the, the image. you know. And, they, and he said, go give them Saul. Saul was the tallest guy in all of Israel, and the most handsome guy, and he was a total disaster as a king. He was all about himself. His posture was all about himself. He was even found at one point building a monument to himself. That's not the kind of leadership that God looks for. God looks for somebody that will say, God, I lay my life down, work through me, for your purposes on the behalf of your people. It's not about me. It's about you doing what you wanna do through me for the sake of your people and God found David. Okay, this is all in 1st and 2nd Samuel. God found David and he said, he's a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. And David led Israel into more of her inheritance than she's ever possessed, even to this day. This is why God loved David, even though he had unbelievable flaws in the flesh and made huge mistakes that he regretted the rest of his life. When he fell, he would get back up and say, God, here I am. Work through me on behalf of your people. It's not about me. I'm not building a monument to myself. David, who's the one who made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, 3,000 years ago. He's the one who brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem became, became the center of worship in, for these people that God had raised up, these chosen people. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for God because you know, God had this little portable tabernacle of, of animal skins and different things, and, and David lived in this palace, and he felt like, this is so wrong that I live in this beautiful cedar palace, and God has this little tabernacle. And God brought David in before him and said, David, you're not going to build me a house. Did I ever ask you to build me a house? <laughs> Plus, you're, you have too much blood on your hands, David, from all the wars you fought. But one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to build a house for you, David. Through you, David, will come the Messiah. Through you will, be, will come an everlasting dynasty Through you will come the king whose reign will be everlasting and never, ever, ever ending. And David just sat there speechless before God. And God said to David, but you know what? I'll let your son Solomon build me a house. Solomon, whose name means peace. You got too much blood on your hands. I don't want you building me my house, David, but your son, peace, Solomon, he'll build me. A house, and that's when the temple was built. Okay, the temple of God, and it was there at the temple that worship, as God prescribed, and we saw this in the book of Leviticus, God prescribed how worship would be to the unbelievable detail. And God said, that You have, if you come and worship me, it has to be exactly like I prescribe because it was there at the temple in every little detail it was a picture it was a prophetic picture it was the truth of who God is It was seen in every detail of the worship it was seen in every detail of the sacrifice it was actually the gospel of Jesus Christ The son of David, the Messiah who would come through the lineage of David. It was the gospel in this interactive model that was at the very center of the worship of these people through the centuries. It was there at the tabernacle and then at the permanent structure of the temple where the blood was taken off the altar into the Holy of Holies, and it was sprinkled over the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, right? You've seen later Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the three symbols of the sin, the failure, and the rebellion of God's people. That's what was inside the Ark. And with the blood mediating or standing between the sin the failure and the rebellion of the people that's what we bring to the table sin failure and rebellion hate to offend you but that's what we bring to the table and there with the blood mediating God would manifest his presence there and meet with the priests the tabernacle the temple was actually called the tent of meeting because that's where God met with man as the blood of that sacrifice stood between the sin, the failure, the rebellion of the people, God would manifest his presence. How does he manifest, why does he manifest his presence in our lives, in our church? It's because we come through the mediator. We come by the blood of Jesus Christ. If there was no blood of if Jesus shed for me, the blood of God was shed for me, God was in Christ, it says in Corinthians, reconciling the world to himself. All of my sin, my failure, even my rebellion is covered over, taken away. And God's spirit and his favor rests upon my life. It was all a foreshadow of the gospel. It was all pointing to Christ himself. It was there at the temple that all of Israel, all the 12 tribes, all the way up in, in the north as far as the, you know, the tribe of Dan in the farthest north, all the way down to the south, Jerusalem, Judah, and Benjamin, everybody was to come and worship through this prescribed way, this exact way, because it was like us coming to God through Christ. You see, now if you remember after Solomon died, Solomon who built the temple, after he died, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. It wasn't an equal split. There was a, there was the 10 northern tribes and it was, they were called Israel. And then there were the two southern tribes called Judah. There's the northern kingdom in the southern. The Benjamin and Judah were called Judah. And it's, in, it's the capital of Judah where Jerusalem is and where the temple and the sacrifice were. Now, in, in the north, the northern tribes, because they split from the south, didn't want to have anything to do with their southern brothers and sisters. They failed to come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They failed to worship at the only place at that time that you could worship. They failed to come and and lift up the sacrifice. And instead, they began to make idols in the north. They began to build these shrines. They began to worship God in their own way, is what it was. And their minds were filled with lies. Because that's what an idol is. We're told in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 20, and an idol is a lie about God that's carved into wood and stone and overlaid with silver and gold. At the root of every bondage in your life, in my life, is a lie that at some time in your life, you believed and you received. Write that down. That's a good one. At the root of every bondage in your life, there's a lie. You can pinpoint. There's a lie that you, at some point you believed it and you received it. And now you're in bondage in that area of your life. And Jesus comes along and he says, when you know the truth, if you're, if, if you're my disciples indeed, he said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed and you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will do what? Make you free. What is it that brings us into bondage? It's lies about God. The whole world of paganism, they believe these crazy, ridiculous lies about God that originated in the mind of man, and they cower before their gods. And they, and they don't know their gods personally. They're afraid of their gods. They stay at a distance from their gods. Their gods demand of them brutality, cruelty, all sorts of inhumane things. And this is what was happening in the North, in the Northern Kingdom. This is what was happening. Jack Hayford, I used to listen to Jack Hayford. He was a Foursquare pastor in Van Nuys, California. He went to the same Bible college is Chuck Smith, Life Bible College. But Jack Hayford in his book called Rebuilding the Real You, which is actually a commentary on the book of Nehemiah, he said these words, and they've stuck with me now for 40 years. Beware the God that your mind invents, for you will inevitably worship and become like him, however wretched, however false. Best of all, Find the true God and filling your mind with the truth of his being you will learn his love and treasure the life that he creates. All else is confusion. All else is ultimate despair. This is what was happening in the north in the 10 northern tribes. They they were not coming to worship as God prescribed. They were not experiencing the power of the gospel that draws us near to God as we we realize our sins are forgiven. They were not coming into the presence of God, which is the only hope we have in overcoming the lusts and the insanity of our own flesh. And so eventually this indictment in verse 1 is brought against these ten northern tribes. Here it is. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, you ten northern tribes. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. Notice the charge. There is no truth. And because there's no truth, there's no mercy. Isn't that interesting? It was, it, it was in knowing the truth of God in the sacrifice at the temple that the people would experience the mercy of God. And experiencing the mercy of God, that's when we begin to show the mercy of God to one another, the love of God. The same word in the Old Testament for mercy is the word love, faithful love. It's first to you and then through you. If it's not first to you, there's nothing to come through you. Holding up the sacrifice that God prescribed the worshiper would get a glimpse of who God is and what God would ultimately do for us in Jesus Christ, the Messiah who's coming, who is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Jacob. He's the son of David. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's the one the whole Old Testament flows to. The sacrifice was not something that the worshiper did for God. It's much like the communion that we take in church. You don't do communion for God. Some people have that mentality. If I don't go to church and take communion, God's going to be mad at me. As if communion, taking communion, doing this religious thing is something that makes God happy. No, the communion, just like the sacrifice, speaks of who God is and what God has done for us. You see when we fail to take communion we we forget what God has done for us. We don't do anything for God. God is not some little pagan deity that our minds have invented. He doesn't need anything from us. Do you realize that? He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need your religious activities. He needs you to come and look at what he's done for you. That's what he wants because he's God. He builds your house. You don't build a house for him. He builds your life. He's God. You're not. You're a little tiny speck of humanity. He's the almighty God, bigger than the universe. Okay? This is the truth of God. All these other ideas are paganistic, where God is this pathetic little Guy that needs us to bring our little mud pies to him with our candles in it and with you know, offering with our dirty hands like that's blasphemous, actually. Read Psalm 50 sometime. God says to Israel, because they had slipped into this mentality, God says, Do you think I drink the blood of bulls and goats? He's like. If I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. Read it in Psalm 50. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your sacrifice. You need to offer the sacrifice because it's a picture to you of who I am and what I do for you. Love Psalm 50. It ties it all together. was a picture, a display of who God is. And who is he? In his very nature, God is self-giving, others honoring, worth ascribing love. Even before the world was created, before there was anything in existence except God alone, there was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what existed between them. Self-giving, others honoring, worth ascribing love, love Existed. A love alone existed at one point. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. That's the implication of the doctrine that we find in Scripture. Why do you exist? God didn't need you. There was perfect love and community, communion existed before He brought anything into existence. So there's only one other alternative to why you exist. He didn't need you to exist. You exist because he wanted you. God wanted you. He wanted to extend his love beyond himself and he wants you to receive that love. That's the whole reason you exist is to know the love of God that you might let it work in you and then through you. That's all that he wants from you. He wants nothing else. He doesn't want any of the religious stuff or the churchy stuff. He wants you to know his love. That's why you exist. (laughs) Wow. And so seeing who he is and what he does for us, seeing the truth that was seen in the sacrifice, not in the idols, They experience mercy. The indictment here against the people is there's no truth and thus no mercy. Because it's only when the truth of God is known that the people experience and see and know the mercies of God. What a trip. This is God's indictment to the ten northern tribes who had gone away from the sacrifice. They'd failed to journey down to Jerusalem and worship God in the way He prescribed. Today, the equivalent would be those who fall away or drift away from looking at Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because all of those sacrifices at that temple through the centuries in the center of Israel, they were all foreshadows pointing to Jesus Christ. This isn't my opinion. The whole... New Testament declares that fact. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Behold, the lamb of God, John the Baptist said, the last Old Testament prophet, who takes away the sin. Here's the one that all those lambs were prophetic pictures of pointing to. Here he is. And who is he? God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. When, when Christ died, the blood of God was spilled, and it now mediates, it covers over, it's taken away your sin. And now the presence of God can fill your life, the favor of God upon your life. The whole thing in the middle of Israel was an interactive model of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. But drifting moving away, failing to come as God prescribed. There was no mercy. There was no love. There was the, the, the idols were empty. The idols are empty. They can't speak. They're dead. They're pieces of wood and stone. Drifting away from this sacrifice as prescribed by the word of God, there was no knowledge of God in the land. No truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Therefore, the land will mourn. Notice this. Therefore, the land will suffer. And everyone who dwells there waste away with the beasts of the field, the animal kingdom, the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will suffer because there's no knowledge of God among human beings in the northern tribes. Nature suffers when man is unrestrained, when man is consuming upon his lust and greed, when man fails to love not only his, fe- his fellow man, but the creation. As we pollute the environment, as we treat animals with cruelty, as we dump plastics in the ocean and toxins from our factories without any regard, This is our father's world. Remember the old hymn? If you come into my house, I mean, I'll be crude here. I'm not gonna let you take a dump in my living room. (laughs) This is our father's world. You know, when I was a little kid, my dad taught me not to throw trash on the ground, out of respect for the ground, for the community. But even a bigger reason because this is my father's world. This is God's creation. There's an interesting verse in Revelation eleven eighteen. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but speaking of the coming day of judgment, it says that you should reward your servants, the prophets, the saints, and those that fear your name, small and great. Notice this, and that you should destroy those who destroy the earth. environmental issues, issues of wildlife and animals. These are things that Christians should lead. We should be leading in these things because this is our father's world. To know God is to respect and cherish his creation, which includes the environment, the land, and the sea. Have you seen this young kid from the Netherlands? he I think he was like 17 years old, and he developed this system that drags these huge nets through the sea, and they're removing millions and millions of tons of plastics. There's a big glob of plastic right now out in the Pacific Ocean that's as big as the state of Texas, of just plastic junk. It's all found each other, and it's just floating out there, killing wildlife, killing dolphins and whales and things. I I look at this kid. He doesn't even know the Lord. I'm like, this is so cool (laughs) clean it out man (laughs) you know and let's stop push let's stop anyway I don't want to get sidetracked here he says next in verse 4 let no man contend or rebuke another for your people are like those who contend with the priest he continues with this indictment to the northern tribes the priests were among those who brought the people the word of God Instead of submitting to the word, you're fighting against the word of God is what he's saying. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day and the prophet will stumble with you in the night and I will destroy your mother. He's saying this to the priest. The priest who's leading the people astray by not bringing the knowledge of God. And my people are destroyed. A key verse here in chapter 4. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. He's speaking here to the priest who brings the word of God to the people of God. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children, God says to the priest, the spiritual leaders. Notice this passage. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. You priests have rejected knowledge. You're not giving people the word of God. The word of God clearly tells us that we worship God as he prescribed in the sacrifice at the temple, and that's where mercy and love comes in. And then when people are loving each other, that's my vision for my people. But you have been part of destroying the people, you priests, because you're not bringing them the Word of God, the knowledge of God. We live in an age where it seems that we have access to unlimited knowledge, right? This little device right here. Did you you know that we're all cyborgs? We're already cyborgs. This is already part of my brain. It's not inside my brain yet. But my kids will be asking me some question. My wife knows everything already. She doesn't need one of these. She has Pastor Ed's brain. (laughs) I call her Alexa sometimes. (laughs) Her name is Jennifer. But my kids will ask me, Dad, what's the average rainfall in the Amazon basin? I'm like, I have no idea. Siri? You know, my watch is like responding right now. What's the average? In knowledge, it's just right there. Alexa, Siri, talk to me. And she does. The knowledge here that God is speaking about is the knowledge of God that, listen, it's only had by revelation. Follow this. If God never spoke we would never have the knowledge of who he is, what's on his heart and what's on his mind. The creation speaks that there has to be a creator. That he has to be unbelievably genius and powerful. Just the study of the cosmos the study of DNA, there's information, there's a word that's, that makes you who you are, there's a code, there's intelligence. We're all without excuse that God has to exist, Romans chapter one. But if he never revealed himself, we would never know what he's thinking of us. We would never know what he feels about us. We can't even grasp, listen, We can't even fathom the creation. Think with me, real quick. Reason with me. We can't fathom the creation, let alone the Creator. We can't even imagine where space ends. You ever sat and contemplated this? If if this whole room right here was a spaceship and we went one trillion miles per hour, let's say one trillion miles per second. Right now, and we just started zooming that way. We can't even imagine ever coming to an end. This is, this is created. God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that fills this earth. And we can't even fathom. This is reason with me. Think with me. I can't even fathom the creation. Imagine the spaceship coming, we come up to a big wall that says the end of space. (laughs) And then Rick would ruin the whole thing by asking, what's on the other side of that wall, Pastor Greg? No, don't ask that. But how can it not end? But we can't imagine that it does end. The reasonable man, the reasonable human will say, That to know God, I, can't, I cannot figure it out with my own brain. I can't even figure out the creation. To know God, I can only know him if he's revealed himself. If we are to know what it's all about, Alfie. Remember that old song, What's It All About, Alfie? If you're, you have to be really old like me to know what I'm talking about then God must speak. And if he has spoken, listen, the wisest thing a person could do is live off of every word that he has spoken. In other words, the most reasonable thing that we could do if if God has spoken is that we would live by what we call faith, biblical faith. You know what faith is? It's simply living off of what God has said. That's what faith is. And faith is not, by the way, opposed to reason. Okay, this is, this is a false advertisement about faith. There's some arrogant people that have no idea where space ends, and they're making all these statements about God, and they can't even fathom the creation, and they're talking about the creator, and they mock people of faith. Are you gonna mock Sir Isaac Newton? Considered as smart or smarter than Einstein, who loved the, he quit science when he was an old man to devote himself to his first love, which was the Bible. Michael Faraday, all, pretty, pretty much, almost all of the fathers of modern science were believers and the lovers of the Bible. Just like all the best colleges in our country were started as Bible colleges, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, All Bible colleges. And then it flourishes and becomes something great, and then it's hijacked. It's hijacked and wrecked and ruined. This is the cycle of things. The reasonable person will say, I need to live off of the revelation of God. Use your reason. Take your reason Think your way, explore the creation, if you're a scientist or if you just like to think. (laughs) Explore it all with your mind, go to the limit and you know your reason is limited. I just gave you an example. Nobody here can grasp that space would ever end, but how could it not end? What What do you mean forever and never, ever, 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 ever ending, what? mind blown right use your reason but knowing that it's limited and if you don't if you won't admit that your reason is limited you are a phony you are not admitting the obvious use your reason to its limit and you know what faith does it takes us beyond reason it's not in opposed it's not in opposition to reason Faith takes us beyond reason into into hope, into faith and hope, into love, into purpose and meaning as we listen to what God has revealed. This is the best life, going all out with your reason and then go beyond reason into faith and hope and love and purpose and meaning. This is what God calls us to. This is what the Bible calls us to. So we're looking at the history of the people that God revealed himself to. They had the law and the prophets. They had the foreshadows of Jesus the Christ where God revealed himself in crystal clarity, and yet here they've turned their backs on God's revelation of himself, on the sacrifice that revealed God, and they turned to idols, to these lies that were out of their own minds. And thus they're being destroyed. That's what we're seeing here. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. Because they've rejected knowledge. And the more they increase, the more they sinned against me, and I will change their glory into shame. Notice this. God himself is our glory. His presence, his love working in us and through us. This is our glory rejecting Him and the knowledge of Him, the truth about Him, rejecting the knowledge of God, we become empty. We have nothing to say. We lose hope. Love, what love? We're just left with all of our selfish loves. And our glory is turned to shame as we live after the flesh, not after the spirit. They eat up the sins of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity, and it shall be like people like priests. If the priests are withholding the knowledge of God, the people are going to suffer. You know, when a church fails to take God's people through God's word, what are we doing? We have the revelation of God. No wonder the psalmist said, blessed is the man who meditates day and night In God's word, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf will not wither. He will bear fruit in season. And everything he does will prosper. Wow. We have this promise. And every time I've seen someone that that gets that promise, into the Word of God, studying it, meditating on it, literally day and night, their lives prosper every time. The people that God gave the Word to, they're called the Jewish people, lopsided prosperity among these people, so much so that a lot of people are jealous of them. Mark Twain called anti-Semitism the swollen envy of pygmy minds. These people have been meditating on God's word for centuries. It's no wonder there's an over-representation of doctors and lawyers and, you know, geniuses with money and finance and these things. Don't be jealous. Get into the word yourself. Meditate day and night in God's word yourself, and everything you do will prosper. Your marriage will prosper because you'll know how relationships work. Your finances will prosper because you'll have wisdom from God about how to do life in so many different areas. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Paul said, I didn't shun to declare to y'all, the full counsel of God. I took you through the whole of Scripture. God's people are destroyed, though, for a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge. He, again, he's speaking to the priests. So I'm going to punish them for their ways, reward them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry with their idols, but not increase, because they have ceased from obeying the Lord. This was their thing to get into the revelation of God, to worship God as he prescribed, and then mercy and grace and love will fill your lives and fill thus your community, your families. The whole reason for their existence, the whole purpose that God raised them up was to know God as God had revealed himself Through the prophets and the sacrifice, that they might make him known then to the world. This was the whole reason. They're being here chastened for their disobedience. And instead, there's harlotry, and they're getting drunk. They're enslaved to alcohol. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols. God looks down, and they're asking their little idol they've carved out of wood, give me advice in my life, you know. Their staffs, their, these wooden staffs, they may inform them instead of worshiping God at the temple by offering up the sacrifice, instead of seeking God in his counsel for, in God's word, they sought counsel from their dead idols. The spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they've played the harlot against their God. Remember the book of Hosea. Hosea the prophet God called him to marry a prostitute. It was an illustration to the people of what God was married to in them. Them turning to their, the idols they'd made, God saw it as prostitution, spiritual prostitution. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops where they built their idol shrines up in the north. We've even seen in, in, up in Israel in the very north, Where the tribe of Dan was, they've dug up one of these pagan shrines that they'd built there and they offered their pagan sacrifices. Where the tribe of Dan offered their pagan sacrifices. And they burn incense on the hills under the oaks and poplars and the terebinths. That's not where worship was to take place. It was to take place at the temple in Jerusalem. In the way that God prescribed, not these ridiculous things that they were doing up in the north. Because their shade is good, and because your daughters commit harlotry, your brides commit adultery. Notice. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves are going after harlots. There's no double standard for men and women in this thing. The men have started this cycle of sin. And so God says, I'm not going to punish the daughters because the men have led them astray. And this is a huge thing, even in our culture today. I think a lot of the feminism is a response to guys that are just total insensitive knuckleheads, you know, thinking that you can invade a woman's space they don't want you to invade their space. Just because you have a drive doesn't mean you have access. Control yourself. And we have a culture that's out of kilter. And men are blaming women and women are blaming men. God pins it on the man and says, if you would be serving the woman, she wouldn't have to protect herself and become what you're looking at in calling a feminist. It's a whole topic we could get into that we won't. Though you, Israel, speaking again of the ten northern tribes, play the harlot, let not Judah offend, okay? The southern kingdom, he says, he's telling Judah, now don't follow the example of your big sister in the north, okay? Don't let Judah offend. Don't come up to Gilgal, Okay, at one time, Gilgal was where the prophets were trained under Elijah and Elisha. But in Hosea's day, it had become a center of false worship. Don't bring this nonsense to Gilgal, where the, pro- the school of the prophets was. Nor go up to Beth-Avon, okay? Hosea here is playing upon the word Bethel meaning the house of God, and he's turning it into a more fitting name, saying he's calling it Beth-Avon, which means house of deceit. Bethel was the center. it became the center of calf worship, little cow worship. They were worshiping golden cows up in the north. Okay, this is a play upon words here. Nor swear an oath. Stop saying... As you're worshiping these golden calves that you've made, these idols for yourself, stop saying, as the Lord lives. Don't use my name and attach it to your false worship, he's saying. For Israel is like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let him forage like a lamb in open country. His point here in verse 16 is that if you're acting like a stubborn cow, don't expect to be protected like an obedient sheep. That's what verse 16 means. If you're acting like a stubborn cow, don't expect to be protected like, a, like an obedient sheep. Ephraim, verse 17, Ephraim was the largest of the ten northern tribes. Many times the Israel was, the, the ten northern tribes were called Ephraim. Ephraim was thus what the prophets referred to when they spoke of the northern kingdom. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Just leave him to himself, which is exactly what I don't want God to ever do to me, with me. Because I need God's protection from my spiritual enemies, I need God's protection from myself. I need his Holy Spirit to lift me up above the potential of sin I have in my flesh. I love the promise of God that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Let's surrender to him. (laughs) Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices to their false idols. Oh, we have the knowledge of God. We have the word of God. You know that the whole Old Testament... Oh, I can't stray from my microphone here. That's all I got. We ha- the whole Old Testament points to and flows towards Jesus. The whole New Testament speaks of him. The culmination of his life is his death and resurrection. We have the knowledge of God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the shame and suffering of the cross. He's now raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God. We know who God is. We know what he's thinking about us. Jesus is actually called in the New Testament, the mind of God, the logos of God. And he is the one who was in the bosom of the Father, and he's been revealed. We know the heart and mind of God. And it's such good news. He loves us to death. Literally. Sinners. I'm a sinner. I've got sin in my flesh. And he loves me. And he's died for me. And his blood mediates His favor is upon me and it will never be taken. As I continuously look to him, as I continuously consume the knowledge of God, my life is in this flow of blessing and passion and purpose and joy and peace. The knowledge of God. My people are destroyed because they... Reject the knowledge of God. Lord, we do not reject the knowledge of you. We are thankful that, God, you have not remained silent. If you had, we would know nothing except where are you? Who are you? We'd be groping in the dark, cowering before the gods of our imagination. But you've revealed yourself through the prophets in your son, Jesus. And now we can know God. We can be made free. God loves us. He's not mad at us. He's not sick and tired of us. He's not out to get us. He's out to love us and heal us and bring us close. Lord, we thank you for the knowledge of God. And may we as a church, may we as a people, continue through every word of your revelation. May we not shun to declare to the people, the whole council of God. May we feed the sheep. May we preach the word like Paul said. Lord, that your people would be well fed. The, be- the, most, the best fed, most loved sheep possible is our prayer. And we ask it all in Jesus' name to your glory, Lord, and to our greater joy. And everybody who agreed said together, amen, amen. Hey, bless you, bless one another as you go. Say hi to somebody, get a name, hang out, fellowship if you've got time. If not, next week, same channel, same place here, chapter 5.